Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hey everyone, and welcome to Remodeled, the podcast. It's your polyamorous mama broadcasting from Dream Life Studio here in Reno, Nevada, Jessica Levity Day Lover. And with me is the man who gains 40 pregnancy pounds with me each time I get pregnant, Joseph Day Lover. Celebrating the carbs over here. I mean, <laughs> it is just food freedom's the best. Food freedom is the best. We're so excited. This podcast is just streaming right along. Episode one is almost at a thousand downloads. We're almost at 4,500 downloads yeah. of all eight episodes. Heck yeah. And today I'm super excited because there is a big content creator in the polyamory community named Polyphilia. You can find them on Instagram at Polyphilia blog. They're all the way over in the UK. This is a 22 year old bisexual autistic Asian cis woman who is polyamorous and a part-time swinger. Hi Leanne. Hello. Yeah. Happy to be here. I'm it's, you know, I'm such a fan girl. So it's like, I'm just honored that you agreed to chat with me today because you know you're the one who brought me in to the group private group chat with all the big polyam creators on Instagram uh yeah yeah I was I mean I loved your content I've been uh you know ever since you started like on on Reddit and TikTok like I you know I I laughed and related to your content and you know I really felt like you know we kind of create funny content for the polyamorous community and you know I got in touch and yeah we've been talking a bit on Instagram and I'm happy to be on your podcast I'm new to your content myself but I'm loving what I'm reading so far especially all the historical references to people that have been polyamorous that I had no idea. So such cool stuff. I mean, you're, um, you're obviously so brilliant. So I talk about you a lot. My husband just isn't on social media very much, but I'm constantly like, man, you got to check out what they just posted. And you're obviously very brilliant at content creation, which we're going to get to in part two, but I just wanted to dote on you a little bit and tell you, I love everything that you're doing. I see you and I appreciate the way you're showing up in this community. Oh, thank you so much. I would say the same to you. I like love like seeing like people who've been doing kind of polyamory like, you know, and like long term and, uh, you know, especially like a family like with with children. I think that's like really important representation. I think, you know, um, yeah, like you're doing really important work as well. Don't forget that. Thank you. I Thanks. love <laughs> the mutual fangirldom happening right here. So, <laughs> um, one of the things I was most excited to talk to you about is you have such a unique family fantastic identity. First of all, you're 22 years old, which I had no fucking idea about until you just told me during our show prep. <laughs> because you're so woke. Like I you're just so woke within polyamory and your level of self-awareness is astounding. So I would love to talk a little bit about being 22 years old in the polyamorous community. What is that like? 
Yeah, so I think definitely like most of the people I've seen who are polyamorous uh, or like ethnically non-monogamous have been in the age group of like, you know, 30 and upwards. And I think like as a young person coming into the community, I think a lot of people initially like don't take me seriously, like when they see my age and then they realize I've been practicing this since I was 17 for five years, which is a lot longer than most people. And I think this this has shocked people. I mean, it surprised you guys. And yeah, and I think like as a as a young person, it's been an interesting one because um, I think people are more likely to like look at look at me, look at my life, and be like, oh, you know, you're young, you know, you still don't know what you're doing, you'll settle down and that kind of thing. And I'm like. <laughs> Like, I've been doing this for, like, a long time now. I think I know who I am, and I think I know, like, what I'm doing. And even if, like, my preferences kind of change in future, that doesn't kind of invalidate, like, my current life experience. And so, I don't know. I think, like, people who look at me and go, like, oh, you're young, it's just a phase, really annoy me because, like... Just, you know, so firstly, like I've been doing this for doing this for a while. And secondly, you know, so what if it is, right? Because everyone should have like the time to kind of explore themselves, really do some introspection and try out different things. And if in the end it doesn't it, it's not for you, that's fine too. And it doesn't kind of invalidate like what you did before. So that's kind of my take, like as uh, as a young person. I think um I think people people kind of are more quick to invalidate me because of my age and then they hear more about me and they're like oh wait no like this is serious <laughs> well they might be triggered on their end to see someone who has just figured it out for themselves at such a young age i mean i can only think about how different my life would be if i had figured all this shit out at 22 <laughs> I, yeah you're definitely triggering people and girl that was so fucking well said like you are so brilliant because you just captured this First of all, the way that monogamous people invalidate non-monogamous people as if we are just out here flitting around, you know, sowing our wild oats, but we will settle down. They equate settling down with monogamy, whereas I would equate my non-monogamy with settling down <laughs> because I'm so much more grounded in this state. And people do that a lot with children too. And I know you've seen my content about, you know, being a pregnant polyamorous woman. I get that a lot. So after the baby comes, you guys are going to settle down down and I'm like if by settling down you mean find more adults to help raise this baby then bitch yes yeah exactly and this also intersects with you know other facets of my identity you know we can talk about my parents I guess like you know their reaction to me finding out that I was a sexually active b bisexual and c polyamorous uh, that is like a, that was like a whole thing and I think they're still at this point I think they're still kind of just waiting it out to see like if this is <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, do, they don't exactly take me seriously because of my age and um you know that's been like a whole kind of struggle but I kind of have learned to like not internalize like the judgments that people make about me because like I know myself quite well I know what I want um in this current moment you know like there's so much rhetoric it's interesting how like the rhetoric that people uh, put against polyamorous people is so similar to the rhetoric against like LGBT people and I know those two communities like intersect a lot obviously they're not the same thing but it's interesting how there's a lot of like oh you know this is like a sexual depravity you have something wrong with you um you just are immature and haven't figured your life out and uh, you know can't settle down uh you're like you know think of the children what about the children this is immoral this is against god all of these things it's interesting how both communities have been like the recipient of this kind of vitriol and yeah it's just something that i find interesting and like want to uh, point out and it shows like the kind of uh attitudes that are prevalent with you know people who like just haven't taken the time to understand these and how they live their lives oh wow yeah 
you mentioned that you became polyamorous at 17 years old. Did you know at that point that this is how you wanted to be indefinitely as an identity? Or when did you figure it out that this is who you are? Yeah, sure. So I'll take you through kind of my full yes, uh, process of my journey. <laughs> okay, so um, how I got into uh, non-monogamy generally um, actually starts with quite a sad story. So I was in a monogamous relationship. So I started dating like at like 16, 17. And I was in a monogamous relationship at first. And, you know, I barely knew anything about dating at the time, let alone, you know, the different types of ways you could date. I just kind of followed like what everyone else was doing. And basically nine months into my first relationship, my uh, boyfriend at the time confessed to me that he had been cheating on me with a man for the past three months. And this was obviously a very, this was a very hard hitting experience as like a young 17 year old first relationship. It was also his first relationship. And, you know, I was very upset by this, like when he told me. And I think the only thing that really saved it was the fact he confessed it to me rather than, you know, having me find out about it. And I remember at the time, like when he told me about this, I was so upset. I was so heartbroken. And I said to him, like, if you had wanted to uh, like experiment with with men, because, you know, he was bisexual. I knew this. I knew this from the start. I said, you know, if, if you wanted to kind of experiment with your sexuality, kind of explore that and things like that, you could have just come to me. If you had just come to me and talk to me about it, I would have said yes. And this would have, this wouldn't have been a problem. Why did you feel the need to lie to me? Because I realized in that moment that I wasn't mad about the fact that he slept with someone else. I wasn't mad about the fact that he slept with a man. I was mad that he me and kept me for three months while I was just, you know, going on with my life, unaware that uh, he disrespected me in this way. When I said this to him, when I said, you, you, this wouldn't have been a problem if you just asked me, and I would have said yes if you had asked me, he looked at me. And he looked at me like I had just grown a second head. He was like, I, like, you know, that was like, that was like an option. He didn't realize it was an option. When he, when he gave me that look, um, I think that was a turning point for me. Like I realized in that moment, oh, I don't think like other people when it comes to relationships. Cause it seems so logical to me. Maybe like my autism is part of the reason why, like I just, I think this way. I know I think very differently from a lot of people in various ways because of my autism. Um, but it just seemed like such a logical thing to me. You know, like I'm not a man. My boyfriend is bisexual. He has another time to explore his sexuality. I don't want to hold him back. It made complete sense to me. Yeah, so I was more mad that like he just lied to me and not trusted me enough with his information and said just went off and did his own thing. So yeah, that I think that was a turning point when it kind of clicked for me that like I thought I saw relationships differently from other people. But in terms of like actually embarking on a open relationship, polyamorous relationship, that was with my second partner. So that so obviously as you can imagine, this first relationship didn't last that long after this. <laughs> and um, my second relationship. Basically Basically, we went long distance and that was the, uh, I guess, the catalyst to opening up the relationship because, again, this was uh, a- another logical conclusion I came to. I was like, okay, well, we just finished school. You're going off to university. We're going to be on a gap year. We're going to be in different countries. Both of us, you know, we we love sex. We enjoy sex. We love having it with each other, but we can't because we're long distance. And also you're going to be at university where, you know, Freshers Week is going to be a wild old time. And you're going to be meeting lots of people and having all these wonderful experiences. And, you know, I'm sad I can't be a part of that. But at the same time, I'm not going to hold you back from like experiencing all the all that university life has to offer. And so to me, I was like, well, it's natural that you're going to be attracted to other people while you're in a really, even while you're in a relationship. It's not like you get into a monogamous relationship and then you just magically stop finding other people attractive. And I was like, I want to acknowledge that. And I'm fine with that. So you go do your thing. I'm perfectly fine for you to go and do your thing. And so, yeah, it just, 
it was a discussion between us and I was like, yeah, I'm chill with this. And that was what we did. So it was fine in terms of like, you know, when he was uh, seeing other people and okay, I, I have to uh, emphasize at this point that like in terms of identifying as polyamorous, that didn't come until maybe I was like 20, uh, 19 or 20. Uh, at the very beginning, like of my non-monogamy journey, it was definitely more kind of open relationships. So, you know, sexually open, but romantically monogamous, if you will. And I think it was over time that I realized, oh, you know, this is, this is an arbitrary restriction and is silly. Um, but like, <laughs> at the, but like at the beginning at the beginning it was very much like just open relationships but like you know i still wanted that kind of uh i don't know i wanted that like security at the beginning and so like yeah that so that was like the transition i guess but i was very happy hearing about like his stories with like the people that he was meeting all the fun experiences he was having and i guess i'm quite unique in that like i experienced like little to no jealousy um throughout like this whole process um which is you know i, I tell this to people and they're like oh my god you know if only <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm very fortunate to kind of i was like secure enough in the relationship secure enough that like we trusted each other and you know we had like a good kind of communication channels going that like that was enough for me to let, let him do his own thing uh, yeah and it was so i i was completely fine with, with it but then uh that relationship ended up not working out because when i started seeing other people he was not fine with it <laughs> oh hell no that's some fuckery right there yeah yeah and like i i don't fully blame him because um i think you know you can talk a lot about polyamory and non-monogamy in theory and then when it's actually when you're confronted with it in practice that you're suddenly like oh no <laughs> what are these feelings was this a man can i ask oh yeah no this was this was yeah (laughs) well that's just something that i've seen a lot is that men can go into polyamory and join the benefits for themselves but then when it comes time to allow their partner to experience those same benefits you see that jealousy come up time and again oh yeah this is definitely uh more common amongst uh men i think it's like uh you know it's like society and how we're how like the social scripts that we're taught right i think you know it's really ironic that like the same men who are like like, you know, I want like a harem of women. I want to do like whatever <laughs> I want. And then like the moment these women start like, uh, you know, just living their lives, having the, having the best time, uh, having a sex life that's like separate from their males, suddenly they're like, oh, I'm being cucked. Um, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a weird connect because it's like, okay, you're, you're into this not because um you know you or like you want to like have like the you, you only want this kind of sexual freedom if you're the only one getting it and you want you're into this because like you're here to just control other people's bodies and what they do with their sex lives and you want it to be all about you i think this is very common among uh, not to make you know well you know generally like these kind of stereotypes do come from somewhere i do think for the most part like because of the society you grew up in is very true yeah um, i think it's kind of an here in the u.s at least i think it's kind of an offshoot of like that whole polygamy culture that was seen in mormonism a long time ago is that it's very male centric in a way yeah yeah and it's and also like another thing that's kind of fed into this is um i don't know i see a lot of uh, kind of various discourse uh, on twitter where people are like oh you know men are naturally polyamorous and women are naturally monogamous and you know any woman who like agrees to uh, polyamory is you know just like uh stabbing themselves in the back because like why would you agree to such an unequal arrangement and it's just like you these people clearly done like zero research into like what polyamory polyamory is actually like you know how liberating it can be for um for like anyone regardless of gender 
uh, and it's also just offensive to me as a uh, as a woman who has chosen this life for herself. Um, it was my idea to open up the relationship, yeah. And with and I have always been the more experienced person in any of my uh, kind of romantic relationships with uh, with men. And yeah, so it's offensive to me to and infantilizing, frankly, to be like, oh, you know, you were tricked into this. You know, you you don't know what you're doing. You don't. You're insecure. You don't know how to stand up for yourself and I'm like no this was my idea I wanted this it's it's interesting you bring up the gender thing because I resonate a lot with that I am um, always the more experienced person in the polyamorous relationship I it was my idea to open up our relationship I knew without a doubt from the moment I heard the word polyamory that that's who I was but it's so interesting what you just laid out because I would agree with you completely that there's this idea that men want polyamory and women don't but I just just pulled up the analytics to this podcast and you know right now it puts us at you know maybe about like 450 average listeners per episode and 74% of them are female 21% male yeah i'm just looking up the analytics for my page as well and it is uh it is 70 percent women 30 percent men turns out the numbers don't lie totally yeah so there's something else going on here i think women are tapped in to what we really want and uh i just think that does not fit with the narrative and that must be why it's so upsetting to the cultural script yeah and like you know i'm very fortunate to like now have a uh, have uh, an anchor partner who who is a man and we're very happy together um we've been uh together and you know polyamorous the whole way for over two years now so we met in november 2018 and we've been together ever since and he also has had some experience with open relationships you know both of us had kind of failed attempts at open relationships and so we're coming together like we had we just kind of okay sorry like uh, this i need to like design this timeline a bit better so basically i've already told you guys about my first two relationships and you know how those ended um and you know i I went in between and in between like then and now i also had like a few other kind of um relationships and all of them were open all like i basically just you know once i started on my path of like nominally i literally never looked back um i went through a phase in like at university i think in my first or second year like where i was just single and kind of exploring kind of what life had to offer and i looked at my past experiences my past relationships and I really did some introspection on like you know what I learned from them what was good what was bad about them what I was looking for in a partner Uh, that really helped me in like you know just dating and when uh, and when I met my current partner you know we got to know each other over like the course of a year we were like kind of casual at first we were like you know just seeing each other kind of friends of benefits type situation and then it got more serious over time and we both kind of walked into this like eyes wide open and like I think like having that moment to like assess what you want and what you learned from your previous relationships is really important because otherwise you will just keep making the same mistakes over and over seeing the same red flags and ignoring them over and over um and I think like having that period to be single and really assess what I wanted and what I learned was is the whole reason why I am where I am today so a lot of our listeners are polycurious and so I was going to ask you if you wouldn't mind defining anchor partner for us and also talk about non-hierarchical poly polyamory because Joe and I actually currently practice hierarchical polyamory and it's not something we've defined for our listeners before and so I would love it if you could talk about what is an anchor partner and what is non-hierarchical polyamory. Sure so then basically uh, there's like well there's several 
several models of polyamory, but if we're talking about like hierarchical and non-hierarchical polyamory, hierarchical polyamory is when there is a very defined structure of usually a couple treat each other as like each other's primary partners. There is a commitment to kind of, you know, build a life together in all the, the traditional ways. You know, you get married, you have kids, you uh, you live together, you grow old together, et cetera, et cetera. And then all the other kind of relationships that you have are secondary. And so that can mean various things depending on like whatever the parties agree. Um, but, you know, it could be like, oh, um, you can have like romantic connections with other people, but like the progression of those relationships are like limited in some way because of your pre-existing commitment to uh your primary partner and in a non-hierarchical arrangement that's basically where like you don't have that you don't have that structure every relationship that you have with someone else is allowed to kind of grow um organically like however you so desire so then for me i say anchor partner instead of primary partner as a more kind of descriptive rather than prescriptive way of like kind of defining like how my relationship is so my partner is my anchor partner in the sense that like our lives are very intertwined we spend a lot of time together we live together um we plan to like have a commitment ceremony at some point in the future like plan to like have have children together and you know kind of like i guess like settle down in that sense but at the same time we're not gonna place any restrictions on like how our uh, connections kind of grow like with other people i think um a lot of a lot of hierarchical relationships i'm not saying this is the case for all hierarchical relationships but i know that there are some couples who practice hierarchical polyamory where they have rules like oh um if you have a kind of outside connection you're only allowed to see them like a certain number of times a month or even like a certain number of times and you have to cut it off completely or like you're only allowed to have like one night stands so it doesn't grow into anything more serious etc etc and there's like a lot of kind of limitations um on uh, like how how the outside relationships, so to speak, um, can progress. Like whereas in a non-hierarchical arrangement, you like there are no restrictions on like that kind of thing, and it's just basically like what you want, like in that relationship, like for yourself. And it's much more, I guess, um, individualistic, and it prioritizes kind of like the idea of the couple as a unit far less because it's kind of each person for their own. Yeah, my my partner Lewis is my anchor partner. And we like we have like kind of plans together for the future, but we're also very aware that those plans could change at any time. And we're also kind of open to, you know, if I have like another serious partner or he has another serious partner, we're open to kind of renegotiating and having that kind of structure change. Um, and so there isn't kind of like a any partners I come across like uh like you know on my own kind of journey, like have the right to kind of discuss like what they want um, in their relationship with me without having kind of rules and impositions like placed on them by my pre-existing relationship with uh, my partner. Sorry, that was very long-winded. Does that make any, any sense? Actually, I was just about to say it wasn't long-winded. It was fucking brilliant. Thank you for laying that <laughs> out there. And I really admire non-hierarchical and relationship anarchists within, which is another term if you're new and listening to this podcast, within polyamory because it's something that I value-wise. And so I am very much, I'm extremely progressive radical leftist. And so I really believe in the power of decentralizing 
organizing power of non-hierarchical. So I'm a social social ecologist and social ecologists uh, try to bring the elements of nature into their personal ethics. And in nature, we don't see hierarchy. We see interdependency. And so I do believe value-wise, non-hierarchical relationships ethically, I think is something to really strive for. I think they're beautiful and really pure. I haven't done enough dismantling and reprogramming in myself to get there yet. I think having kids makes the need currently for primary boundaries sort of necessary in a way. I also feel that Joe and I are primaries and hierarchical by nature, like by the nature of how much fucking time we spend together. We both work (laughs) from home. Yeah, (laughs) We're very domesticated. We are best friends. Like we spend a really eye-rolly amount of time together. And so it just feels like we are primary by the nature of who we are. But at the same time, we are growing over time, over the last seven and a half years of being polyamorous toward less and less and less rules. So we are, we do practice hierarchy, but we really don't have a ton of rules. It's more about systemic, like, well, we need to schedule, we need to create containers of how much time we can spend with our other lovers because we have to take care of domestic things to survive in this capitalist hellscape. Right. (laughs) And we're very much progressing toward a more communal lifestyle, which it seems like non-hierarchical is just a more natural expression in that kind of an environment. And so it seems like the difference just comes down to a time commitment. And for us, the nature of being parents and having children, it sort of feeds into that, well, there's a natural container that emerges surrounding our relationship and what we have time for bandwidth wise with other partners. But I find your description of non-hierarchical polyamory just so fascinating and very liberating to hear. Yeah, I think um, you guys have brought up a very interesting point about, you know, because like uh, the fact that like there are some boundaries that need to be necessary, like that are necessary by by virtue of, you know, you guys having kids and living together, etc. And having very intertwined lives. And I think that uh, another important thing I want to bring up, like in regards to kind of hierarchy, non-hierarchy kind of structures is the difference between prescriptive and descriptive hierarchy. I think this is something that's kind of touched on a lot in kind of poly 101 books and basically prescriptive hierarchy is like you know placing like a lot of limits and a lot of rules and you know like on like outside connections etc and then descriptive is just like what kind of naturally occurs so uh, you guys like i'm sure like you're uh, like as you should be you're very committed to your children you're committed to like your family unit and you know you want that kind of i don't know security stability like for like uh, that for your family and so it makes a lot of sense that you would be spending a lot of time on your partnership and your children and raising a family together and that's kind of any kind of hierarchy that happens because of that is just like exactly you know it's just the circumstances you fell into and it's not because like you were placing any rules or anything it was like this is just how it is and I think that's important I think that's important to acknowledge because the one thing that I dislike actually about non-hierarchical polyamory when people say they're non-hierarchical polyamorists a danger that is inherent in that structure is that people tend to ignore hierarchies that are sometimes unavoidable like if you have kids if you live together if you have to like do taxes together or stuff like that like you 
your lives are inherently, you know, going to be, you're going to be interdependent in some way, like you said. And that is a reality that you have to confront with your other partners in terms of offering, like what you have to offer in terms of how much time and energy you can give to relationships outside of your existing commitments. And I think people need to be realistic about that. Like, yeah, personally, I would not be comfortable like putting kind of restrictions on like the time that like my partner spends with other people. But then I do want him to show a commitment to me in terms of like, oh, this is the time that I need for our relationship to work. This is the time that I would like my partner to dedicate to like, I don't know, our children, our finances, whatever. And it's about kind of juggling these boundaries and upholding the agreements that you have with multiple partners that I think is like a big step that people kind of trip on when they start out with polyamory I think so I think it's important to kind of dismantle hierarchy in the sense of just putting arbitrary limits on other people's relationships out of you know like as a way to like I don't know not deal with like the insecurities behind that Um, but I think that's very that's very very different from just like acknowledging the implicit hierarchies that are there like when you intertwine your lives in very various ways and ride the uh, like the relationship escalator together. I really like that descriptive yeah. term you threw out there because that feels very much like what we are is we do not place restrictions on the level of connection that each other has with our other partners and lovers and you know we fall in love over here pretty easily and so that <laughs> would seem you know kind of ludicrous to try to put a container on it that way in a hierarchical sense for us. Yeah, I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, thank you for laying that out there. I actually really just learned something. And so thank you for that because like we are hierarchical, but we, it's not coming from a place of, like you said, insecurities. It's really just practical domestic shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think being honest about that with your other partners and going like, look, this is what I can offer to you with the existing commitments I have. I have kids and I live with my partner and we do like X, Y, Z. And so this is the, this is what I have to offer in the relationship. And I think it's important to be honest about that because like going like, oh, we're non-hierarchical. I'm, you know, like I will treat you as equally as I do with other people. Like, I don't think that's realistic at all because like, you know, with the time investment with like a a various other types of investment like that's just ignoring like in a way I think it's ignoring reality if you're like oh we treat I treat all my partners equally um because you know like they're completely different relationships Mm -hmm. yeah it's a logistical issue for us I mean we've kind of joked about this in previous episodes where it's more a matter of our google calendars syncing up (laughs) so that we're on on top of it's on top of the scheduling so I could go in so many different directions and maybe in season two if you would do us the honor that of coming awesome. back because I have so <laughs> I want to talk to you about your parents but right now I want to end this first part talking to you about being a part-time swinger how you got into that world at such a young age did you have any hang-ups about it did you like what was your introduction to that world and what has it done for you as a sexually thriving healthy person <laughs> I love that that's actually thriving yeah um okay so I basically like kind of my swinger kind of journey like started um when I came to university and you know like well I I'm very fortunate to be like a go to to have gone to university which was like a very kind of open-minded kind of space and you know lots of young people like super horny like wanting to kind of experiment and explore in whatever ways I also that was also around the time when I realized that I was bisexual um so that was when I was like 18 and this was interesting because like I think growing up like I 
I was very sheltered. Like I actually grew up in Hong Kong. So I have an English accent and I have been in the UK for the past six years. But actually before that, I grew up in Hong Kong where like, I'm pretty sure I didn't even know that gay people existed until I was like 14, 15. So I never really thought much about my sexuality. And then when I started dating, I was like, oh, I'm into men. No further questions required. And it wasn't until like I was at university and then seeing other people just like being like out and proud, et cetera, that I started to think about like myself and kind of like what I, you know, my my own sexuality. Part of the reason why I became a swinger was to kind of explore my sexuality and also coming to terms with my bisexuality um, and wanting to explore with women. And I, my, my actually my first experience with a woman was in the context of a threesome. I really enjoyed it. It was a really, really good time. And since then, like, you know, I've explored alone with like couples. Sometimes like my partner and I uh, meet other couples or like other like single people. Um, we've been to like various sex parties we've organized our own sex parties that's just been like a whirlwind journey and it's been a really really great time doing that um because there are so many stressed and horny people at our university who just want to let loose (laughs) (laughs) and i'm very happy to facilitate that you know and so community service really leanne <laughs> oh my god yeah so like this um s- s- someone recently said this to me I, uh, there's a compliment in this but like basically someone called me like the Hugh Hefner of my of my university town and I was like mm, like problematic association but also like I see what you mean <laughs> yeah like I kind of enjoy the experience of bringing people together through sex um like I meet people on tinder obviously pre-pandemic like I would meet a lot of people on tinder and then uh I'd be like oh I'm seeing all these other people you know if you want an introduction I'd be happy to like you know introduce you guys and then usually they're like oh you know like yeah obviously they'll see photos and they're like oh yeah like like uh, he she they like they're cute and then like I'd set them up and then they would see how they got on and if they got on then I'd be like okay let's have a party like it was just like (laughs) oh my um, god okay so the ultimate wingman award now officially goes to Leanne I think so (laughs) yeah the torch has been passed Like I, lo- I, I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I only wish I could talk about non-monogamy on my CV because the amount of networking I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. You're like, actually, I have tons of experience and I have some very happy clientele. <laughs> yeah, like the networking, the organization, like with the parties, with like the collaboration, the teamwork, you know, all very transferable skills. Um, alas, no, I cannot talk about that. <laughs> God, like on a resume. Uh, yeah, so that that's just kind of, like been a fun time for me I, I love seeing people who I care about enjoy each other's company and then all just having a great time together oh man you are goals in so many ways <laughs> and I want to take this time to plug right now one of my favorite pieces of content that you make and keep in mind um this girl is putting out content multiple pieces of content every fucking day um but you recently did a zoom video with one of my other favorite polyam creators Michelle from her handle is polyamorous while Asian and it was called Asians talk about orgies it's a two-parter an hour long and If you're listening to this right now, go look it up on both of their pages. I think part one is on Michelle's page. Part two is on your page, which by the way, that's fucking brilliant that you guys did that. (laughs) (laughs) And you answered my question in part two about like, how do you start a party? Like, is everyone just hanging out and then all of a sudden sex is happening and you guys gave some brilliant advice. And now my new goal in life is to throw an orgy among people I love for one of my birthdays. I am feeling inspired over here. When I was listening to that, I'm like, oh, you don't just get invited necessarily. It's more of a DIY approach. You kind of just make it happen yourself. Be the change you want to seek. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is amazing. I just love, I loved the normalization effect that hearing two young Asian women talking about going to sex parties, swinging and orgies, like it, like you were talking about going to brunch. I was like, this is exactly the script that needs to be floating out in, in this world. And I love, I love our generation, millennials, Gen Z, you guys, just the way that we are flipping this ancient script that is not serving anyone anymore. And on that note, we're going to take a very short break, 45 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Leanne about the content that she's creating and the direction she wants to go in with that. And so we'll be right back. And we're back with Leanne from Polyphilia blog on Instagram. And you also have a blog where you're actually doing a lot of writing. And I have to tell you, Leanne, you're a brilliant writer. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've, I've always really enjoyed writing. Um, and yeah, this was just like a really good creative outlet to do that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about your content. So what would you consider your main platform? Um, or are you non-hierarchical in your polyamorous relationship with all the different social media platforms? <laughs> Okay, so I'm probably most active on Facebook because kind of Facebook allows for kind of more long form posts, whereas Instagram doesn't. On Instagram, I post more kind of visual content, like the memes and stuff like that. I guess it's between Facebook and Instagram, though I also uh, do tweet a lot on Twitter as well. So yeah, it's between those three platforms. And in terms of like how this blog started. So basically, I started this in November 2020. So this has been around for not that long. And this project started as a blog and it was started because basically like I'd been talking about polyamory, talking about ethical non-monogamy um, and swinging, et cetera, et cetera, and giving relationship advice like regarding these things based on my own experiences with my friends um, and other people like at my university for like a while. Um, and basically people were like, Leanne, why don't you just write this content down and put it out there? I was a bit hesitant at first because I was like, oh, who am I? Who am I to talk about like these things? I'm not an expert. Like I'm only 22. But then people were like, no, you should do this. So I was like, okay, fine, fine, I will. So I set up a website, I set up a WordPress blog. And initially I was just writing long form blog posts um, just on various topics, like whenever like the fancy struck me. But then I realized that I wasn't getting a huge amount of engagement because I think people don't have the time these days to read super long posts. Um, I think people, like, you know, because of social media and various other reasons, our attention spans are super short and people wanted kind of short, easy to process visual content. And that I realized when I decided on a whim to create a meme uh, about polyamory and just post it on my Facebook page. Whereas before I was getting maybe 300, 400 people kind of like engaging with my content. Suddenly my first meme reached a hundred thousand people. Oh Jesus wow. Christ. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, uh, you know, lots of people were like in the comments going like, oh my God, this is so funny. I relate to this. Like, I'm going to share this with everyone. And I looked at my analytics and I was like, holy shit, this, this could really go somewhere. And so, so basically that was just how, how it took off. Like I, uh, I started making memes. I made memes every day. And then I used the memes as a kind of gateway into like talking about like just polyamory uh, and like just discussing it and like the various various topics within it um, with with people but like uh, yeah so people come for the memes and they stay for like all the other content that I'm putting out yeah that's exactly what what it is that you're doing and and with remodeled this project that we started um, you, our mission statement is quote to expand the cultural narrative on polyamory and healthy relationships and that's exactly what you're doing as well and so we're approaching this from different but very similar standpoints and as well with all of the big polyam creators that are out there doing this right now that's essentially what we're all doing and we all have different ways 
of doing it. And you and I are taking it from a humor approach. And so on the surface level, you know, we've got, yeah, we're making you laugh and we're entertaining you. And that's breaking down your wall a little bit. But then underneath that, it's, we're giving you a different script to go off of. And so if we look at one of your memes and it's normalizing, uh, you did a meme the other day about, you know, the face you make when you realize uh, you told the same joke to the same partner. <laughs> um, you have to keep track of um, of which joke you've told which partner. It's shit like that that is seeping deep into the subconscious mind of people everywhere. And I think you have some really <laughs> yeah. well-chosen uh, retweets here that I pulled up. And one of them was talking about honesty, where it's so key in polyamorous relationships. And really, you have to be honest with yourself. And that is, and that's really hard to own that your own issues and behaviors are your own and they're not related to your partners. I thought that was really well stated. There was another one about, you know, polyamory takes discipline and we think it means you can just do whatever you want, but it actually takes a lot of self-control to be good at it. Yeah. So like, apart from memes, I also post a lot. I also tweet a lot on my own tweets, but I also share tweets by other people and I would give them credit, obviously. I think um, some like tweets are great because, you know, they're again, easy to process visual content and like people really like use them as a springboard for for discussions. And actually, I want to touch on the point about like using humor as kind of, you know, gateway into like these bigger discussions, because um, yeah, you're like, you're right about kind of breaking down these walls, like by using humor. Another thing is that, I don't know, I think in the polyamory community, um, like when you join like the Facebook groups, the forums, etc, the books, whatever, um, I have found it to be like sometimes very serious. And I think like people go on these groups to like seek support and so sometimes these groups are uh, you know a little bit like doom and gloom because people are often like reaching out to these communities because they need help in some way and like need like uh some support in like figuring out like a situation they've landed themselves in etc cetera, etc cetera. basically like my my uh, like the idea behind you know creating all these memes that i quickly caught on to was basically people wanted to talk about like everyday life as a polyamorous person and also inject some levity into um like the kind of ups and downs of a living uh, as a polyamorous person and so i guess kind of basically just cater to that because we get enough um advice online about like how to deal with metamors or like how to deal with jealousy or like what happens if you have multiple breakups and there's a lot of there's a lot of incredible amazing informative resources out there but then there isn't a lot just like about like the like the funny and not so funny parts of polyamory and i think that uh, you and i like by creating this humorous content it not only creates community for people to like rally around and relate to each other over these like hilarious experiences but also it uh, i think laughing about things that maybe wouldn't be like as funny if you talked about them in a support group um helps with that process um like for example you know i've made memes about like my experiences like being treated badly by couples or um, uh, you know, I've made memes like when like my uh, like one, one of my friends like went through multiple breakups at once. Um, I've made memes about polyamorous representation in the media and how uh, for the most part, it's been really shit. Um, <laughs> in a word. And- yeah and 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 people people they laugh at it because it's true and then they're like and it sparks a conversation and i think yeah like i think people really really underestimate the power of humor and the power of well, memes um in kind of creating discussion and well kind of seeing things from a different perspective like when talking about like these many many topics and issues in in the community well and you made the joke in the first half uh, about you know organizing these orgies you said you know be the change you want to see in the world and and for seriously though you 
are doing that with being a content maker because so much of what we're seeing from the mainstream media is a fucking crap representation of the reality. It's the last thing we want being put out there to the normies as they call themselves uh, on TikTok. <laughs> and so by doing what you're doing and doing what I'm doing and all the other big content creators out there as well, we're like, listen, don't listen to those people. They have no idea. They have no idea what they're talking about. And listen instead to us. And like you said, these other content creators, they're like, you know, polyamory 101, here's facts. Here's exactly things you need to learn, advice. And we're coming at it from this very like silly angle, but you're right. You are actually taking these very serious things and taking something serious and putting it into a meme is actually really brilliant. And I love watching you do that. What is that process like for you? Do you sit down and just have brainstorming sessions with yourself? Do you have like a notepad you carry around? What is your content creation like? <laughs> uh, so basically my process is like, it comes from a few ways. I don't really have like a set way. Sometimes um, some something will pop, like I'll experience something and then I'll, like, the idea will pop into my head and go, oh, I should make a meme about this. And then I will find a meme template to make the joke with and then sometimes I start with the meme template I'll look online and I'll see something I'll see like a funny line from a movie or I'll uh, just like see some like fresh kind of templates that have been coming because they come in every day um, and I'll look at them and go hmm how could I use this in a polyamorous context so it's kind of like you know it's kind of like when 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 musicians like they start with the lyrics or they start with the music yeah, and totally. then like, yeah and then sometimes uh, and like these days uh, because you know we're in lockdown and like we have nothing to do my my partner and I we've been watching a a lot of kind of classic films and TV shows and basically whenever something funny happens in like the media we're watching I'll be like give me the timestamp so I can screenshot that and use that for a meme later um, and uh, yeah we've been doing that with like Pirates of the Caribbean recently and before that we did it with Lord of the Rings it's also really great because like I find that um, a and this is another stereotype, but I do feel that a lot of polyamorous people are also like massive geeks and they really love Star Wars and Star Trek and Lord of the Rings and like fantasy, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, that type of thing. So when I bring things like Star Wars and polyamory together, it's it's like, you know, it's it's amazing for these people because they're like, oh my God, you're bringing together two of my favorite things. You know, I'll like, share, subscribe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's a, it, that's basically kind of my creative process with uh, with creating memes, and then anything else, it's just kind of well, just whenever I feel partic like particularly like passionate emotions about a topic, then I like I will sit down and write it, and that's just more like on a whim. And um, there will be some days where I create no memes at all. There are some days I'll create twenty in a sitting. Well, and you're fucking great at it. I cannot praise you enough. I mean, it's you're an artist. What you're doing is artistic and it's also, you're an educator. And so I just want to praise you and thank you for that. And you have ways for people to send you monetary appreciation for the work that you're doing. So do you want to plug that really quick? Sure. Um, so I have a, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the words, coffee or ko-fi, but basically it's ko-fi.com slash a polyphilia blog and what's what that is it's basically a, a virtual tip jar and so if you appreciate my work and want to kind of support it put a smile on my face basically you can buy me a coffee on that 
site and you can like give tips about like the price of a coffee that money basically goes back into the community because i'll be using it to commission artists to create polyamory merchandise and that's the other way you can support me which is through my redbubble shop so i have a shop on redbubble it's polyphiliashop.redbubble.com and for that i've created some valentine's day cards well you know valentine's day is over now but uh, i created some cards that you can send to your multiple partners your metamors uh your comets and i also created like other kind of a polyamory kind of merch that you can just wear in everyday life and have that kind of visible polyamory representation um so yeah those are the ways that you can support me and obviously if you're not able to do that please follow me on facebook instagram and or twitter um and it is all at polyphilia blog p-o-l-y-p-h-i-l-i-a-b-l-o-g perfect i mean brilliant and if you're listening to this and you're a fan of remodeled of course i'm going to have all of this directly tagged and linked on our social media as well as the description of this podcast episode leanne thank you so much for sitting down with us today we really appreciate it yeah i hope that you had a good time chatting with us i had a great time talking with you guys you guys are so great thank you so much for having me on the show and on that note i'd like to thank you all so much for listening to remodeled you can find us on instagram my main profile is home slice productions you can also find us on instagram at remodeled love tiktok home slice productions youtube you can just search jessica levity if you're listening to this and you want to be a part of us continuing to make content you can find us patreon.com slash home slice productions you can become a patron for as little as three dollars a month i want to give a shout out to our executive producers home slice productions that is me and amy stashik morg and you can email in anonymously if you want home slice productions.com slash remodel and just fill out the form at the bottom. Thank you so much for listening. It is possible to redefine love. You're listening to Remodeled.